0: I grew up uh, in a day and age, I guess you could say I'm old enough uh, to remember that every day in elementary school and at the Christian camp that I went to, uh, every day we would say the Pledge of Allegiance. Some of you grew up that way, that every day, that was kind of how you started your day. And uh, you may remember a little bit of the end of the Pledge of Allegiance. It says um, that one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The the pledge was actually written in 1892. Uh, The country was uh, over 100 years old when it was written, but it was wanting to remind Americans of these two ideals that we could be unified around, one of which is liberty, that every single person, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of their economic position, that every single person in this country would be free to pursue their dreams, and to pursue the life that they want to pursue, and and to live the life that they want to live, that freedom uh, was to be valued almost over everything. And the second idea was justice for all, that if a crime was committed against you, or if your freedom was impeded in some way, if someone hurt you or took away your freedom unjustly, that our nation would cry out for justice for all. Uh, that that freedom and justice, these were uh, the two big ideas that the the writer of the pledge wanted to remind us of of that our nation was built on, that that we want freedom and we want justice. Those are the two things we can unify uh, over as Americans, and here's what's happened in our country. We have become so politicized have you noticed every single issue, whether it's a moral issue, a spiritual issue, or, or an economic, every single issue is politicized. And instead of liberty and justice for all, these new ideas have taken over. These politicized ideas have taken over. Like a politicized ideal, instead of liberty and justice for all, a politicized, uh, a politicized ideal is victory. You hear it all the time in our culture that you need to be defeated so my political party or my side or my whatever can prosper. It's victory. Uh, the other is power, that you need to be controlled and I need to be controlled by some entity because our thinking is wrong. And so liberty and justice for all has been replaced by victory and power. And here's what's happened. Just uh, This isn't a sermon about America. We're going to get to the church here in a, in a minute. But it's led to an incredible breakdown of unity in our country because victory and power are not ideas that promote unity. They actually promote the opposite, and our world has settled. Our nation has settled. We are called to unity. We are called to liberty and justice, and we have settled for victory and power. Now, that's what our world struggles with. I don't have a ton of concern about that. I do as an American, but as your pastor, I have very little concern about that. I I wanna talk about the church. And the reason I introduced, uh, introduced it this way is because if you were to go around to any church that is struggling with unity, and again, I'm going to say this probably five times in the sermon, I am really proud of our church. Um, we have, by and large, maintained our unity and maintained our togetherness. And I've got friends all over the country whose churches have been ripped apart uh, over masks and over pandemic response, and over racial discord, and all of that stuff, and our church just has not experienced that, but I'm telling you, if you were to go any church that is struggling with unity, you would find two things that have happened. One is, there was a time in that church's history where they were unified around certain ideas. Uh, the ideas of Jesus' name being great, and worship, and serving the community, and uh, making his name famous, that you would have found unity around uh, certain ideas. But secondly, at some point, you would have found those ideas were replaced with the ideas of victory and power. I can almost guarantee it. I I, uh, have a huge passion for this because of some stuff that happened in uh, my church growing up. I have a huge passion for church unity. It's probably gonna come out in this sermon, but I am telling you, every conflict that I've ever seen in a church that has led to disunity, what I just said is true. At one point, there was unity around certain core ideas, and then at some point, those were replaced with victory and power, and the church settled for less that there was a group in that church that wanted power and control over an issue that doesn't matter nearly as much as Jesus. And that church was ripped apart because they settled for victory and they settled for power. And this is exactly the situation Paul is talking to when he writes to the church in Corinth. The church at Corinth, the most diseased church you can think of, Corinth was worse. Corinth, they were so messed up as a church and so they were so disunified and so Paul writes to them about their unity problems and here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling, Victory and power, right? Among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light and it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what, they has built, if what they have built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss and yet will be saved, even as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you are together, and you together are that temple. So I want to hear some of the ways that Paul describes this church. He said there's quarreling, there's division, there's jealousy, there's fighting amongst you. And here's what is true. The church's ability to shine light in their community, according to Paul, is directly related to their ability to be unified. So a church's ability to be effective in their mission The church's ability to shine as light, as bright as they can. The church's ability to do that is directly tied to their ability to be unified. And I'm telling you, we've been really blessed here at our church on this issue. But I'm telling you, the church across the United States has taken a hit on this big time. There have been churches that have been fighting all through the pandemic about should we or should we not wear masks? Should we or should we not have uh, uh, move services online only? Should we or should we? And there's just been one fight after another in so many churches across the country. And I'm telling you, it is affecting their ability to accomplish their mission. It is affecting their ability to shine brightly. Have you ever been to a wedding ceremony where they couldn't get the unity candle lit? It's really awkward, right? If it goes on for any length of time, it's really, really awkward. And you know, usually, so hear somebody muttering, "Oh, you know, that's not a good omen" or whatever. You know, trying to make a joke of it, but it's really, really hard to watch. And the Bible says that we are the bride of Christ, and Jesus is our groom. And when we can't get the unity candle lit, the light just can't shine. So let me give you a little background on this text. Um, what Paul was really combating in the church of Corinth was an was a, uh, attitude within their culture that said some people are just superior to other people. This is what Paul was battling. The wise are superior to the foolish. The strong are superior to the weak. The rich are superior to the poor. Here's what Plato said. The well-born have a title to rule the worst born and the stronger should rule the weaker. It is for the ignorant to follow and for the wise men to take over to, and lead and to rule. This is what Paul was up against. And and so with this teaching, it's not difficult to see why this church was so uh, divided. And this church ended up divided over uh, in a couple of different ways. One Paul will address later in Corinthians, but it was how the poor were treated. And you can see adapting this Plato philosophy, you can see why the poor would be mistreated. And what was happening is they'd have these fellowship meals. And then they'd say, well, the rich are superior to the poor. So we're going to let the rich be seated first and get their food first. And then the poor were left with scraps and, and they were being mistreated because in the gospel, there is no Jew nor Greek, Scythian or slave nor free. That we are all one in Christ Jesus, Paul will say later. And so Paul will deal with this later and, and really call out the Corinthian church and tell them how ashamed he is with how they're behaving. But it makes total sense if you believe this philosophy. If you have bought into a cultural philosophy that says rich are superior to the poor, of course you behave this way. And that's what the Corinthian church was doing. But you also saw this play out in another way. Um, You also saw this debate ensue within the church over who was the best, uh, who was the smartest, who was the wisest, who was the most powerful. And this also makes total sense if you believe this philosophy. If the wise are superior to the foolish, who do I want to be? I want to be the wise, right? If the strong are superior to the weak, I want to be in the strong category, right? And so this debate began to ensue over who is the most powerful, who is the wisest, who is the strongest, victory and power. This church was called to lift up Jesus and instead they were arguing about who was smartest, who was strongest, who was richest, and they were being distracted from their mission. It's no wonder that Paul says, man, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. I couldn't address you as spiritual, but as worldly. I think if Paul were writing this today, he would say to churches across our land, you're acting like Congress. Right? You're, you're acting like Congress. You're acting political. You're acting like your culture. You're acting worldly. And what Paul is teaching us is that, man, the issue of unity is a spiritual one. And so to solve spiritual problems, you have to come at them with spiritual solutions. And so Paul is going to address this issue of unity, and he's going to use three images. Believe it or not, you are actually getting a three-point sermon today from your preacher. We never do this, all right? Uh, A three-point sermon, so it'll be real easy for you note-takers. I expect your emails later. All right, um... And he's gonna use three images. The first image is the image of the garden in verses five through eight, that Paul says, man, when it comes to gardening, this is actually something I know a little bit about versus the next example of construction. So we're gonna spend a little bit of time here because I actually know something about this, that in a garden, everyone has a different job. But also in a garden, everyone has the same job. I remember my grandfather, I've told you this before, but he lived about a mile from me growing up. And he was a huge gardener. He loved gardening, and so uh, all throughout the summer, I would say to my mom, "I'm going to Grandpa's." I'd hop on my bike and I'd go over there and uh, help my grandpa garden. And he and I were very, very close. And very quickly, I very quickly observed, even at a young age, that he had jobs in the garden that I wish I had. Right? Um, He killed the woodchucks that came on. You know, he'd take them to the back of his property, and I mean. This probably isn't real appropriate to say, but he took care of, he took care of the woodchucks. We'll say it that way. Uh, and uh, I desperately wanted that job. My job was weeding. That's what he told me I could do. I'm going to weed. Uh, my grandpa would go through and he would pick the ripe fruit and vegetables and he taste test them. I really wanted that job. My job was weeding. And he repeated, every once in a while I got to water and that was kind of fun because i turn the hose on my sister and stuff. But um, over our time, over time, as I got older, I realized that our jobs were actually equally important. If the plants weren't weeded or watered, there was no garden. We had different jobs, but the same purpose, to make sure the garden is growing. And Paul says the church is the same way. He says, I planted some seeds. Apollos watered some seeds. But in a church where everybody was approaching each other with a a sense of superiority and a debate had broken out over who was better, who was wisest, who was strongest, uh, who who had the most talent, in a church like that, I wanted to see how radical Paul's words were on the screen. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants. Only servants through whom you came to believe. Later on, he'll say, We're just workers. He says, we're not anything. It it is God who is important. The garden is God's. The mission is God's. The church belongs to God. You and I, we're just servants in the joint. We're, We're just servants. To steal a passage of scripture later from Paul, he said, I must become less so Jesus can become more. I must become less so he can become more. And Paul recognized something very important in this teaching. A lot of conflicts happen in the church and a lot of conflicts happen in our relationships when we approach people with a spirit of pride that my political position is better than yours. Right, My feelings on the pandemic are better than yours. My attitudes about life and politics and marriage and children and all that, I am better than yours. When we approach people in a spirit of pride and power, it always disintegrates the relationship and leads to conflict. And it's a superior attitude often that says, man, what I want is more important in the relationship. And when we become most concerned with ourselves, and this, isn't, this is just... Good advice, not even just for the church. This is just good in relationship, but I'm applying it to the church. When we become concerned with ourselves and what we want and what we desire and what we need, when we start to view ourselves that way, conflict happens. Paul says a little advice for the church. The only position you should be trying to attain is the position of servant. That's it, me too. Me too. The only position we're trying to attain is the position of servant. We're not trying to make ourselves better. We're not trying to reach a position of power and authority. We're trying to reach the position of servant. And healthy, unified churches, um, they understand no one's superior in the church, except for Jesus. No one's mission matters like his. No one's desire matters more than his desires. It's his garden. We just work in it. So we don't become consumed with what we want and what we need and what we desire. And we are, that's not the first question we're asking. The first question we're asking is, what does Jesus want? It's his garden. What does he want? What is his desire? What does he want accomplished? And then we give our hearts and our minds and our dollars into achieving his purpose and serving in his mission and picking up our hoe and working in his garden. People that understand that say things like, man, it's not what ministers to me but it seems to be ministering to them and that's good. It's his garden. It's not what I like, but it seems to be what a lot of other people like and Jesus seems to be in it, so I'm gonna support it. It doesn't really benefit me, but it benefits others and so I'm gonna serve in that ministry and they're routinely just setting aside their wishes and their goals uh, for the good of the whole church and accomplishing its mission. Man, my mom was the servant of servants and my sister texted me yesterday. I kind of lost track of this. But yesterday would have been my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, we lost my mom in 94. We lost my dad back in November. And so she and I were just kind of texting back and forth yesterday, remembering some things. And she loved... My mom was a work-behind-the-scenes person. Uh, and... Um, She loved to send notes and make meals and do stuff for the potluck and just serve people behind the scenes. And my dad was a more outgoing, kind of out front person. As a matter of fact, even when he passed away at his nursing home, when my sister and I went to pick up my stuff, everybody at the nursing home was like, we loved your dad. Your dad was so awesome because he just had that kind of personality. And so my entire life growing up, my dad was usually out front and my mom was kind of behind the scenes. And I remember sometimes my mom would talk about feeling like her contribution didn't matter as much because my dad was out front and she was behind the scenes. And I've said it a million times, but I think she would have been shocked. When she passed away, 500 people came to the funeral. I didn't even know we knew 500 people. (laughs) They came to the funeral and they told stories about cards they had received and letters and meals she had made. And it would be easy to spend your life fighting for what you want and trying to achieve power and trying to be superior. But a life dedicated to serving God is never, ever a life wasted. It's just not. It's actually a life lived to its fullest potential. It's the image of the garden. The next image is the image of the construction site. (laughs) I know very little about this, <laughs> but we're, we're going to walk through the text together and try to work on it together. But I do know this, because I watch a lot of HGTV, that if you're building a house, you better make sure you got the foundation right, right? And the church is the same way. Paul says that as an expert builder, and Paul views himself as an expert builder in, in, in at least church, that in an, as an expert builder, he wanted to build the church on the only foundation that matters, the church of Jesus Christ. And remember, the main issue in Corinth is that people are trying to build the church on their desire and their philosophy of their favorite wisdom teacher, and it created a ton of division and a ton of conflict. And he says, man, what you need to know is that when Jesus comes, he's gonna expose that for what it is, which is, in Paul's words, wasted work. He says, if you're not spending your life trying to make the name of Jesus great, if you're not spending your churches, uh, if, if that's not your philosophy of your church, it's trying to make his name great and to make his name known and to reach people for him. He says, if you're trying to build on some political philosophy or some cultural philosophy or some wisdom teacher philosophy, Paul says, that is going to be shown for what it is. It's going to be destroyed when Jesus returns. And he makes this really interesting comment. He says, you'll be saved because you gave your life to Christ. You'll escape the flames, you'll be saved, but what you built your life on and what you built your philosophy around, many people will not be saved because of what you invested your life into. So he said, you'll be okay because you know Jesus, but if you're building your life on this other stuff, Paul says it's kind of wasted work and we don't want to waste our work. We want our work to matter. We want our work to be important and the work that really matters and most important, especially in a church setting, is to make the name of Jesus known and to to make the name of Jesus famous and to welcome people into a relationship with him. You you might not know this uh, because I get to meet with people kind of individually pretty often, but what I know about this place is that we have people from every background you can imagine uh, in our church. I love it. It's one of my favorite things about our church. We have people that were raised Catholic and Lutheran and Baptist and charismatic and non-denominational. And we gather every Sunday um, and we're unified, not because we agree on everything doctrinally. I think if you were to dig very deep, you'd find disagreements in this room. It's not because we all agree politically. I know that's not true, right? Every once in a while, somebody say, your church, they're all Republicans or they're all Democrats. I'm like you don't know my people, quiet your mouth. I know my people. And I'm telling you, they're not all one anything. <laughs> we have a wide variety of beliefs and attitudes and political affiliations in this room. Some of you are libertarians, right? You've rejected both Republicans and Democrats, right? And so you would not find agreement in this room over any of that stuff. What you'd find agreement in this room is over the one thing that matters, our love for Christ and worshiping him and making him known, and making his name great. And can I say something? That's at times messy, having so many backgrounds. It's at times messy, and it's sometimes confusing, but above all, it's beautiful. It is. It's beautiful that a person can be from a complete blue-collar background like me, and walk into this room and worship, and a person can come from extreme wealth, And walk into this room. Somebody can come in as a Democrat. Somebody can come in as a Republican. Somebody can come in uh, as a Baptist. Somebody can come in as a Catholic. Somebody can come in from all of these backgrounds and say, These people love the Lord. And I wanna join them. And I wanna worship with them. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we have a desire as a church to be that place, to to see Jesus at the center of everything that we do. And I know there's a lot of marriages in this room that feel the same way. There's a lot of friendships in this room that feel the same way. There's a lot of small groups in this room that feel the same way that we want Jesus to be at the center of everything we do and it's never wasted work. That is work that when Jesus comes, he will look and he will say, uh, we preached this at my mom's funeral actually, well done, good and faithful servant. You gave your life to what really matters. And yeah, you may have a side job or a day job, but you know that your real mission is exalting Christ, worshiping him and making his name Known and that is never ever ever wasted work. You know, one of the problems is with conflict, and this is where I get really passionate. I'm not going to yell. I'm not a yeller. Every once in a while, I'll step down here like you kind of yell today. I didn't, I didn't like that because <laughs> I never I never yell. But every once in a while, I get passionate enough that I do. Maybe I will today. But um, one of the problems with conflict in the church is that it removes Jesus from the center and it makes the conflict the center. And that is wasted work. So all of a sudden, a church that loved the Lord and worshiped him and wanted to make his name great, all of a sudden, mask wearing is in the center. Or all of a sudden, political party is in the center. Or all of a sudden, a candidate is in the center. You know what the silliest one I've ever seen is in a church? All of a sudden, carpet color. I've I've seen it all of a sudden carpet color is in the center seating is in the center how we're going to seat how we're going to seat people is in the center all of a sudden sound systems are in the center musical instruments are in the center it's wasted work it's wasted work and all of a sudden the name of jesus and making him famous and making his name it's replaced by A guitar, carpet, Trump or Biden, masks? No, 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 no. We don't replace the name of Jesus with anything because His work is the work that really matters, and so we lift His name high and we make His name great. Now, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that it's sounding like I'm saying never have an opinion about anything other than Jesus. And if you know me, you know that's not my position because I have an opinion on nearly everything. And I believe most of them are right because if I thought they were wrong, I'd have a different one. So, so the ones that I have, I think are right, right? And if you ever ask me about them, I honestly, I'm probably, you know, every once in a while, Cheryl will say to me, I don't think you should have said that. Yeah, like I'll, I'll share them with you, right? I tend to be a very opinion, opinionated person. I said, so, no, I absolutely do not believe that fighting for things that are other than Jesus, that uh, arguing for your beliefs or engaging in debate, I absolutely do not think it's wrong. But our desire to be right on things less than Jesus, we, we never want our desire to be right to overshadow his name. Our desire is to see Jesus celebrated. And when church conflict, some of you have gone to that church, when church conflict, when it becomes the source of all the discussion and all the energy and all the conversation, it is a problem. Because his name is great and it's power and it's control. It is replacing the name of Jesus with power and control and it's wrong. It's wrong because his name is great. Healthy churches are unified around the person they serve. They understand serving Jesus is never wasted work and so they have opinions. They have thoughts, they express them in respectful ways, but at the end of the day, Jesus is the most important. All right, the third image that Paul talks about is the image of the temple. And this is the the part of the sermon that, that Paul shares what it looks like when churches get this right. And I, again, want to say to you guys, I'm, I'm just so proud of our church. When I hear other stories around, around the country, I am so proud of the way that we've lived out these principles in, in a very, very difficult year. If a church is going to have conflict, 2020 and 2021 is the year that, that it was going to happen. And I, I am grateful we just haven't had that. But Paul says what happens when churches get this right is that they become the temple of God. Now here's what he means by that. In the first century, if you were walking around a community, you would know where the temple was. And you would be walking along with your kids and your kids, you know, what is that building over there? Like, that's where God lives. That, that's, where, that's where God is. That, that's where he's housed. That, that's where, where he is. And Paul is making this amazing claim that when churches get this right, they become God's temple. And we're not talking about 1306 North Stanley. Right? There's nothing sacred about this room. You understand that, right? We're not talking about the church building, right? The new temple is not the building. The new temple is the people. It is God's people coming together to worship him. He says, when churches get unity right, when churches get love right, when churches get serving one another right, they become that community of people, they become God's temple. And they people see God in us, they see God living here. They see God's name being made right, right. And the Bible uh, repeatedly gives us examples of this. Let me give you one from Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, Jesus is articulating what happens when you have a conflict with someone within the church body, all right? So again, we're never going to express that it's wrong to have opinion and that it's uh, wrong to make that opinion known. Uh, we, we just want, we always want Jesus to be the priority. But Jesus says, let's say you get, you get into a conflict with someone. What, what should you do? And Jesus' advice is, first, this is real radical for our culture, go to them individually. We don't post about it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of that stuff. We go to them individually and be like, hey, you hurt me. That hurt my feelings, all right? And you work it out. If you're unable to work it out, then you take two or three witnesses with you and they say, hey, they saw it too. And they just want to articulate to you that they thought it was wrong when you did that. So now we're going to try to work it out, the three or four of us. And then if that still doesn't work, then Jesus says, then uh, you take it to the church and you allow church eldership and leadership uh, to help restore the, the relationship. But then Jesus says this, here's what you need to know. Where two or three come together in my name, there I am with you. So he says, two or three people could be gathered in a room, loving the Lord, trying to work out a conflict, and Jesus says, that becomes my temple. That becomes my temple, I'm there in that moment. And people can point to that meeting and say, man, I don't know what they were talking about, but like God was there. And he says, the same thing can be true of us in this room. There were times during COVID, we had two or three people in this room, right? Um, <laughs> There was actually one time that we had, uh, this is uh, going backwards, there was one time we had one person sitting in the back row, one person in the room, and she came up to me after church and she said, I felt like you were preaching directly to me. (laughs) I said, I was preaching directly to you. You are absolutely correct. So, but he said, man, there there can be moments in this room where, where we are unified in our love for one another. We're unified on mission. And people can kind of drive by here and say, man, God is there, not at 1306 North Stanley. I mean, who cares about the property in that way? But they are in those people. That's where God is. God is in the middle of them. And he says, that can happen in your small group, that can happen in your family, that can happen. We become the temple of God. We become the temple when we achieve unity and we achieve love and we serve one another and we stay on mission. God's like, that's a home I want to live in. I want to live in that home. I want to be in that place. I want to be with those people. And I'm telling you, that is when our light shines in our community. That people see you praying at lunch with a group of fellow believers. They see you studying the Bible. They see the way you carry yourself at work. They they see the way that you're making a difference. And man, God's in that. It's like his temple. He's in that. He's in the middle of it. He's with those people. Now, the downside of it is that it's possible to destroy the temple. Verses 16 to 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Tough words in 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. I've seen people use that verse to describe like why people shouldn't bring like water into the sanctuary or whatever. No, 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 no. That's that's a silly interpretation of it. He is talking about the community of people, the body of Christ coming together. And he says, man, when there's conflict in the church, quarreling, fighting, jealousy, when it runs rampant, God's home and our witness and to a certain extent, his name, they take a hit. That we And God's name become less beautiful to this world. And instead of looking at the church and saying, man, God is in them. God is in them. Instead, they look over and they say, I would never be a part of that. And that's, some of you, you haven't been in church in 15 years because of it. Because at some church at some time, a group of of believers, instead of exalting the name of Jesus, they replaced Jesus with fill in the blank. And it was quarreling and conflict and power and control. And you were like, I'm out. I'm out. I don't want to be a part of that. And you stumbled onto this group of believers here, and you came into this place, and you met this group of people, and by God's grace, we will never be that. We will never be that people that replace the name of Jesus with anything and quarreling and fighting and arguing and bickering takes over our mission. We never want to go to that place. We've spent five years uh, and so much money building up the outer shell of of this facility to look beautiful. And it is, and it's been money well spent. But let's make sure the spirit of our church stays beautiful as well. Amen? Amen that the spirit of Christ is in this place. We don't want any wasted work where we have replaced the name of Jesus with something that is less than. So today we gather together as we're getting ready to move forward as a church, we come together and we kind of draw a line in the sand. We're here today and we say, man alive, we are, we are going to be a church that is unified. We are gonna be a unified in the person and name of Jesus Christ. We are gonna be a church, a, get, a gathering of people that makes his name beautiful to the people of this world. Our world has settled. There was a time, I don't know for sure when it would have been, but there was a time where liberty and justice for all, they were like the most important thing. But we have so politicized. And now victory and control, they are the most important things. The world has settled, we never should. Because we're actually unified over something even greater then liberty and justice for all. Those are great ideas, but we are unified around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's worth giving our life to, that's worth giving our time to, and that's worth keeping, uh, keeping in the center in all times and in all ways. We're gonna receive communion together, the one that we're, our unity is based on. I wanna pray and leave a little bit of time of quiet for you to just lift some things up to the Lord and uh, then I'll come back and we'll receive communion together as a church family. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And we want to be a church that makes his name great. We don't want to replace the mission of Jesus with like carpet or guitars or political affiliation less important even belief matters. We want to be all about Jesus. Help us to do it. Help us to remain unified. Help us to make your name beautiful, famous, and great. In the name of Jesus, we lift all these prayers up to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen his body given for you, his blood poured out. In a day and age where our world is so divided, um, I I told you a week or two ago that my wife's made the comment a couple times that she's never lived in a culture like so ready to be offended, right? And and, uh, to live in a culture so divided, it is refreshing to be a part of a group that is committed to unity and committed to really uh, to what really matters. And that's this group. That, that's this group of people. So I'm thankful for you. We're excited uh, to be trudging forward. Uh, next Sunday is going to be a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to have uh, our uh, two of our elders, Pat Owens and Travis, uh, on the stage with me for um, 10, 15 minutes. And we're going to talk about uh, the last year and some things that we learned and uh, some things that we're grateful for. Uh, and then uh, you'll have, you'll get a shorter message out of me because of that. So... <laughs> Uh, so uh, next Sunday should be fun. want to welcome you back. Uh, uh, you have a great week ahead of you. Uh, God bless. You're dismissed.